Welcome to this edition of the Disciples Men podcast with your host Greg Alexander and Alex Ruth. Thank you for joining us as we explore the many challenges of being man of faith in these challenging times. Disciples Men is a ministry of Disciples Home Missions of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in the U.S. and Canada. Let's listen in today's conversation. Thank you for joining us for another edition of the Disciples Men podcast. This is Alex Ruth. I'm your Associate Director of Disciples Men. Glad to have you with us today. I'm joined, as always, by our Director of Disciples Men. That's Greg Alexander. Greg, how are you today? Doing great, Alex. It's great to see you as always. Thank you. I'm glad to have you with us. And today, our special guest uh, comes to us from the greater Kansas City region of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ and its regional minister, Bill Roseheim. Bill, glad to have you with us today. Good to be with you both, Alex and Greg. It's great to see you again. Well, Bill, one of the things that we love to do when we have our guests uh, coming on the podcast is just to say, tell us a little bit about your faith journey. How did you get to where you are today? And uh, give us a a kind of a sense of who Bill Roseheim really is. Okay, there is a comic strip. I think it was called Family Circus. And there's a there's a uh, character named Billy. And when he's called to go home, he has this incredibly circuitous route that he takes. And I was made for that character uh, in terms of my faith journey. I uh, grew up in the Roman Catholic faith and uh, at the age of six on Christmas Eve was introduced to serving uh, in in the uh, chancel as an altar boy for the first time. I thought my grandmother was gonna fall out. Uh, They just had not have enough folks and I stepped in and I was hooked ever since on liturgy and uh, having a sense of call. Uh, That sense of call was affirmed throughout my early years to ministry of some kind. And at that time I thought that was to the priesthood. And so I uh, spent a lot of time uh, in retreats that were offered by the Salesian brothers and uh, uh, developed a, a profound respect for people who were in ministry and for the message of Jesus and what it held out. Um, like, uh, like Greg, I think you and I are probably close to the same age, uh, growing up in the 50s and 60s and 70s when so much was going on, um, and to hear the gospel put in context with uh, an informing and offering hope in a time of deep disruption uh, and change. And um, so I went to uh, I went to a Salesian seminary prep high school for a year and boarded there. That was an interesting experience. Uh, when at the end of the summer, my director asked me, well, what are you going to do for your summer away? And I said, well, I'll probably date. And he says, oh, really? Well, you can't be a celibate priest if you're going to date. And I said, well, I guess I won't be back. So <laughs> I uh, made the decision not to go back. Um, I. Uh, I, I went, I continued on, went to a Catholic high school and then uh, on to Iona College, which is Christian Brothers College. And all throughout that time, I was challenged to think critically and think theologically. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, after that, uh, was active at the base chapel at March Air Force Base when I was in the Air Force for four years and directed what we would call today as a praise team. And uh would have frequent conversations with uh, the base chaplains. And at that time, I was still Catholic. And uh, 
got uh, invited to candidate for a position in Leewood, Kansas as a uh, associate, uh, uh, associate pastoral assistant and uh, worked in the Catholic Church for five years in two Catholic parishes, taught Catholic high school for four years, taught scripture and theology. And in the process, uh, my last year of teaching high school, I was uh, proctoring during lunchtime. And so that means I walk the halls and make sure that um, the guys are where they're supposed to be. There was an all boys Jesuit high school. I was reading A Day in Old Rome by an author, an English author by the name of M.A. Rose. And he was describing this, the Roman ancient rituals pre-Christian. And I was recognizing a lot of what I saw in the sacramental life. And I thought, okay, I, why didn't I know this? I, I, I studied theology in college and church history. Why didn't I pick up on this? Anyway, that led to a process where I began to question, am I really where I belong? There wasn't a question about whether or not the Catholic Church was a great church. And, and uh, it was more about where am I supposed to be God? And it was probably one of the most painful journeys of my life. Uh, my identity was so wrapped up in the Catholic Church, most, almost, almost all of my friends. But going to a Methodist seminary uh, one summer just to take some Hebrew classes and a class on Martin Luther King and Gandhi opened up my eyes. And for the first time, I experienced a spiritual depth in that community that I thought wasn't available to me outside of the Catholic Church. So it was a real eye opener for me. Uh, I was so grateful then I enrolled for a Master of Divinity in a Methodist school called St. Paul School of Theology here in Kansas City. And during the course of that time, had some conversations with the Catholic bishop. He and I agreed to disagree. I got kind of tired of hearing priests tell me, it's too bad you're married, you'd be a good priest. Mm. And uh, about that time, uh, I got introduced to Disciples of Christ, who said, uh, it's not too bad that you're married. You, you can be a minister in the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Uh, and after having gone through a history and polity course with Dave Downing at the time, he was a regional oh. minister in Kansas City. Yeah. I knew Dave. Um, I found a home. I found a home and a welcome. And I've been very, very grateful for that. And still learning, still growing. That journey's not over. I don't think it'll ever be over. And you've been regional minister in Kansas City how long now? Uh, just completed five years. Uh, prior to that time, um, Don and I were co-pastors at the Christian Church in Odessa uh, for, uh, she was there for six years and then we got pregnant and uh, she took a part-time position. I stayed there for another three and after that was on regional staff in Arkansas. And that's really when I got introduced to Disciples Men um, and, and just was blown away by how much men were doing and, and, and being around men for, for whom faith was not something that was tied to hereafter. It was more about right here, right now. Uh, the, the sense that Jesus calls us uh, not just to be uh, so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, uh, but rather that uh, we're called to incarnate the same kind of love that we've received from God. And these guys were doing it. Uh, I just saw, I got to see them do this so often. And we would take retreats up to an abbey uh, in Northwest Arkansas and spend time together. And I just, I met so many wonderful, wonderful disciples men and got a chance to serve on the general conference as a, as a pastor counselor. 
And that too was an amazing experience. Again, being around men of deep faith uh, who put their faith into action and allowed that to influence their entire life. It was wonderful. You and I first met uh, well over 20 years ago at a men's retreat in Louisiana. I remember that. <laughs> and, uh, you were our music leader, and I was uh, bringing the message that weekend. And um, uh, I still have just really fond memories of um, of our getting to know each other through that event. And, uh, and I've enjoyed uh, the fact that our journeys keep crossing paths through all the years. And for, for people who may not know Bill, um, his his uh, Catholic background shows in some of the most beautiful and profound ways uh, in his ministry. I, you know, we've shared together in time the College Regional Ministers, and um, and there is a there is an element of depth and grace that Bill brings to every conversation that I know is comes from his uh, his faith journey that that background. And I just want to say, I don't know if I've ever had a chance to say that to you, Bill. But, Thank you, um, you, you know, I've spent a little bit of time as an oblate at a, at a, mon a monastery here and near me. And um, um, it's just a beautiful integration within you of your faith. And it's not and it's not a surface thing. This is so deep and so beautiful and so profound. And so I, I just want to say thank you for what you bring to us. It's a great gift. Well, and thank you. And I and appreciate the fact that we disciples, we we don't consider ourselves the most important part or the whole body. We're a, we're a group of people who believe there are no spare parts in the body of Christ. Amen. Every right. part is essential. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, and, and Bill and I have known each other for almost that long, 15, 16 years. I uh, Certainly, um, as I began my ministry here in uh, the Mid-America region, Bill was uh, a an area minister at the time uh, in the northern part of the state. And we, I don't know that I've heard the whole of your um, faith story and, and share more with you than I think I, I knew before today. So thank you for sharing that with us. It's, uh, um, I, I think our paths may have crossed in, in previous lifetimes and we just didn't know it. Uh, no, but, uh, I, yeah, I know. And I was so excited when you invited me to uh, uh, kind of listen in on your process for your work on your DMIN. I, I just was so excited yeah. about the work you were doing. Yeah. And it, so it, glad that you're doing this now. I mean, this just seems like a great fit. It, it's been interesting to me, I think, how uh, you, you keyed on, in on this idea of, of kind of a lifelong journey. Um, and that's been one of my experiences as well is is molding um, my thinking around that model of journeying um, on on being on this this path towards becoming never fully achieving that becoming in this life but having that process go on and on i, th I think that's something that um, is pretty foundational to the way greg and i think and talk about of work with uh, with disciples men, um, so it's, it's great to hear that echoed in in another person whom I deeply respect's uh, journey as well. Yeah, thank you. Tell us a little bit more, if you will, um, 
about your experience. Uh, you shared this in, in a different context before. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience with uh, the General Conference um, and, and how that um, how that shaped your your views of, of disciples men and 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 that interaction. One of the pieces that jumps out was a time when we gathered in Bethany uh, around Buffalo Creek. And um, one of the difficulties I face right now is that names just trying to fly right out of my head just, just as I'm getting ready. Uh, Greg, help me out here if you can. Regional Minister in Oklahoma. Um, Tom Jewell. Thank you. Tom Jewell, a jewel of a gentleman, uh, truly, mm. preaching on a stump near the uh, one, of the one of the earliest churches in the Stone Campbell movement, and also walking with us to Buffalo Creek. And I still remember the locusts were out that year. And as you get near Buffalo Creek, where the Campbells were baptized, the place was just a buzz. But it was, it was, it, it was so important to the guys who were there to be where our history began and that sense of legacy, maybe that's that's the thing that jumped out at me, was that here was a group of men who understood that the work that we do and the example that we set today isn't just for here and now. What we're doing is we're creating space and resources and energy for future generations, building on with deep appreciation and respect so many sacrifices that have been made uh, that many of us don't know much about until we go back and we study our history and we go back to those places where the movement was founded. And, and these were men who cared about that. I mean, they just didn't pay lip service. This was important to them. And so when we get together for worship, when the preaching was happening, everybody listened. You could hear a pin drop. When the singing happened, you couldn't hear anything else. It was, it was enthusiastic. It was heartfelt. And the way the, the way the men interacted with each other, I mean, there was just genuine love, uh, a level of which a level of trust and mutual respect that I don't always get to see every place that I go. So that made a profound effect uh, on me. And the fact that here were men who would gather uh, periodically, primarily to ask the question, how can we be better servants? of the men in our church, and then through those men to the church as a whole, and through the church to the whole community that God wants to bless. Well, I, I think you've partly answered this question in, in what you just uh, said, Bill, but one of the things that I think most pastors today uh, experience when, it's, when, it's trying, when you're trying to establish men's ministry is so many of the men can't figure out what its value is. Mm -hmm. You know, why, why do I want to be engaged in this? And of course, we we live in a time in which many of the of the gender identities are, you know, are being challenged, uh, you know, the historic ways in which the three of us grew up, you know, with those. And uh, again, no commentary on that. That's just that's just part of the world we live in. Right. But I, I'm curious as to what you would say to a young man who just happens to tune in to our podcast today and doesn't really belong to a men's fellowship. What what do you think would be a, a, a way of inviting him in and the value of that invitation? I think part of it is the preparation I would need to make myself 
to ask the question, why do I want to invite this young man to be a part of something larger? Um, and can I sift through uh, what uh, my motivation for doing that? And part of that, I'm at the stage in my life right now where I realize that um, I'm 65 and I, you know, who knows how many years I may have left. And I'm old enough to realize the universe does not revolve around me. Uh, <laughs> took a while, but I got there. Um, and that there are a lot of young men who, uh, many of whom are away from family. They don't get to live close by. And this, because right now I'm in an urban setting, it's urban and suburban setting. And in those settings, it's it's rare to find too many men who have their fathers, their grandfathers, their uncles, their brothers really close by. And those relationships are so rich. Uh, so there's often something missing. Um, I can't provide that directly, but uh, sometimes I can appreciate that with another man. Um, sharing stories um, and listening to stories. One of the things that I notice about many young men is that nobody listens. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, if they don't have the opportunity to gather with some other men to talk about the things that they don't feel comfortable talking about with uh, their female friends or their wives or their, their sisters or their daughters, uh, not to say that they couldn't, just that sometimes men need a space to talk about things that just affect them directly. And to have somebody who's willing to listen without judgment, um, to be supportive, uh, to also be reflective. Um, we've learned a few things uh, in a few years. And while uh, we don't want to go around giving unsolicited advice, sometimes in the process of listening prayerfully and carefully to another young man, an opportunity opens up to be able to connect with what that young man is talking about. And to be also able to say to that person, um, you know, God appreciates you. Uh, one of the things that many of us don't remember is that we're here in this particular time and place. This is just my belief. I don't know that everybody shares this. But in one of the most critical times in the history of the church, God has put together this group of people. And we may not feel up to the task, but I think God has far more confidence in us than we ever have in God. And I believe that... I believe that we're here for purposes that we are sometimes aware of and, and sometimes we're not. And I think that that is another reason why I, I find it a privilege. And I was just doing that this morning with one of our pastors, a privilege to have those kind of conversations that open us both up to be vulnerable and really present with each other. And in that presence, to experience the presence of God. Well, you've uh, certainly struck a chord of, of harmony with Alex and me in that. And uh, one of the things I'm sure you've heard me say this before, Bill, is uh, is I, um, it's been, mm, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago that the ELCA men did a, a survey of younger men. And uh, it's pretty extensive. It was done by a, a, a couple uh, seminary professors. And, you know, I mean, it was all done right. And the one thing, the one discovery that still uh, strikes me today that I think is uh, is extremely relevant, based especially on what you just said, is that the number one overarching need that those young men identified, and as I recall, there was not an exception to this of all the people that they interviewed, was that their number one desire 
was to have a non-judgmental relationship with an older man. Yeah. And and a lot of it was, you know, again, absentee fathers or no fathers or living away from fathers or couldn't relate to fathers or whatever the deal was. But they wanted someone sort of like a mentor, I would think, you know, a father figure, but kind of also more like a mentor person who was not going to judge them for their earrings and their tats. Exactly. And uh, but we just listen to and accept them for who they are. And and I have I confess that the work we've done with the Jesus way has tried to incorporate that into the small group models that we that we've developed. And Alex and I'll be the first ones to tell you that the curriculum is not the most impart, important part of these gatherings, because right. when men are together and start to talk and listen to each other, the conversation goes where it needs to go. Exactly. And you may be parking the content for another week or two until you finish the, the immediate conversation that you're having, but it creates the trust in the space right. for that kind of conversation to occur. And I've been in a far more of those than I can remember over the years. And I can't tell you one time they failed. Amen. Again, Amen. You know, whether it's a Lectio, Lectio Divina conversation, you know, experience or small group with guys. When you give guys a chance to be human instead of, you know, the male image that we as a society, society cast on them, as I'm always amazed at the depth and the grace and the understanding that these men have that no one ever expects them to demonstrate. Exactly. To, to, to experience in the reflection of the presence of another man, um, you, are, you are good. You are better than you think you are. And you can claim that and own that. And I affirm that. Yeah. And I'm I'm especially aware these days since uh, this we had this come up this summer where you couldn't see a headline without seeing some things that men want to talk about. But who do you talk about them with? And who can you trust? So, for instance, if I grew up in a very racist culture, we're, you know, let's just own it, that we're all involved in a racist culture. But if you've grown up in one that doesn't seem to want to move the needle on that, but you want to, you're feeling led because of your faith journey, but you're not sure what to do. And you realize there are some guys I can't talk to about this at all. Who can you talk with? Again, who's not going to be judgmental or tell you what to do, but will listen you into free speech and that open, creating that open space where the spirit can do the spirit's work uh, is so good. The other piece for me, too, is that as gender roles have begun to change and morph over the years, uh, one of the mistakes I think that I helped to make uh, along with some other men is that as women became more involved in leadership in the church, some guys were very uncomfortable with it, but didn't know how to talk about it and didn't know what to do about it other than to leave. And many of the guys did or to give the women a bunch of stuff and pushback and subterfuge, which all of which was not only destructive for the church and harmful for the women, but it was also self-destructive. We were missing opportunities to grow as as fuller human beings. And I wish now that we had spent more time 20 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, talking together as men, um, you know, reading books like uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, those kinds of things um, in a different voice, uh, Carol Gilligan, 
those have been very, very helpful, but those are not the kind of conversations that most guys have over a beer when they're watching a football game. There's right. got to be a space and a time for that, and there have to be men who are available to engage in that kind of uh, conversation. And to think about that, not only as I need to talk about this, but this is a part of our mission as a church, is to be a church that welcomes into leadership everyone whom God has called. And if that gets difficult, we need to work those difficulties out. They're, they're not insurmountable. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. We want, also wanted to ask before our time gets away, you said in uh, you know, in a position where you get to see the landscape of the church in a very unique perspective. And, you know, regional ministers in our denomination um, get to look out across the general church and get, and get to look out across the ecumenic or the uh, congregational landscape and are usually involved in some kind of ecumenical dimension of ministry as well. What are you, what do you think are the significant challenges right now we face as a church, number one, and, and if you feel so led more specifically towards doing ministry with men? I think we have to come to terms with the fact that we have become more like the culture we were supposed to change. Mm -hmm. uh, that for many people, spirituality, living out the, the mission of God, uh, it's, 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 uh, I like, like that reversal that someone mentioned. I think Alan Roxborough was one of the people who introduced me to it. It's not that our church has a mission. God's church has a mission. God's mission has a church. Mm -hmm. That's the way it's supposed to work. We've also given up on the Great Commission. We're okay with not being inspiring enough to be able to draw more people who have no church experience to want to know who Jesus is. And and I I, I really regret that. Uh, I think that's one of our biggest challenges to acknowledge that we have become comfortable. And I think we worship too often at the unholy trinity of certainty, comfort, and control, which is something that's being panhandled across the landscape these days. You know, I know, I know what's best and I am comfortable where I am, so I don't have to change. And I definitely want to have full control over my life. Well, I don't know that Jesus ever promised any of that. In fact, when I look at his life, I think, my goodness, Jesus, <laughs> you, you asked questions. You were very uncomfortable on so many different occasions and you gave up control you gave yourself over entirely to the mission of God and it, it ended up putting you on a cross, but that was not the last word. Yeah. And, you know, I, sometimes I think as, as church, have we forgotten that we are a people who are a people of the resurrection, but we also go through some good Fridays and it's really okay. Um, and we're called to influence the culture, not to be overcome by the culture so that our religious practices become habits that we fit in between the, the football game at three o'clock and supper on Sunday evening. Uh, it's, if it's not something that shapes our lives in such a way that we get to experience the joy of our salvation, then I think it's... I think we're selling ourselves short. I, 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 yeah. That's probably for me the biggest struggle is to own our integrity, to, to take that back and to say we were called and chosen. We really were bought with a price and our lives could be 
a gift back to God if we choose to do that. God's not going to force that on us. But if we as a church, we're, we're over 2.3 billion people strong on the planet. We're one out of every four people who live on this planet. Can you imagine what God could do if we could ever get together for a month and do whatever <laughs> the spirit motivated us to do? We're... You know, we walk away from opportunities to to exercise holy power. You know, I'd love to live in a world where there are no homeless people, no hungry people, no people who don't have access to health care, no people who feel excluded or marginalized. I'd love to live in that world. And we could. Yes. We could. But we would have to make the decision that we really want to be disciples of Jesus and not just members of congregations. Wow. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I found myself in the little congregation I serve that that's been the message I preach pretty regularly now. That's not what I thought I'd be preaching to this little band of believers. Um, but it's, you know, uh, what I keep reminding them is, you know, in a day where words are cheap and caustic and harmful uh, and really nobody's listening to one another, what can't be ignored is is um, the gift I give you by how I treat you and how I serve you. And so it's really the, our acts, you know, that, um, you know, that are, are really the words that we need to use to show our witness. And so how we care, serve, love, nurture one another, uh, especially the stranger uh, exactly. is, is, is the key because our words are cheap. I mean, no one listens to, to our words anymore. We don't have time to listen. We're too busy formulating our own answer or our re response or you know the next question and um i i uh, i just again i can't you know thank you enough for that comment that you made it's it's where we are and the church better start looking and acting like the church and, and i think we want to take that. care of itself yeah and i think more often than not uh, i get to hear over the course of time in conversations more people expressing the desire to do just that but they're also scared i don't want to be a freak I don't want to be some hyper pious, overzealous, driving everybody crazy kind of uh, disciple. And of course, Jesus never asked for that. Mm -hmm. Jesus, you know, I, I love looking at the lives of the apostles uh, through the lens of the, of the Gospels. Um, first of all, noticing we've got four Gospels, four different ways of looking at things. Apparently, that's OK. Um, yeah. The other thing is that these guys are real guys. I mean, Peter's yeah. a fisherman for crying out loud. He does what fisher guys do. And right. he didn't have to suddenly become, you know, put on different liturgical clothes or, you know, get himself a gold chalice. He didn't have to do any of that stuff. He just had to be who he was, who God had made him to be and, and to be continually open to transformation. And I think that's one of the messages for our guys is, guys, we don't have to become uh, something that you would put on your dashboard, uh, some bobblehead uh, super halo. no. No, that's not what we're called to do. It's like you were saying, Greg. It's it's our actions. It's how we how we yeah. interact with each other. How we welcome the stranger. Uh, what what are our priorities? What how do we invest? Where is our treasure, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, again, I think we're at a. I've observed over you know my study of um, our religious history, as I know you have, Bill and Alex, is the. Is that you know we have peaks and valleys that there are moments where you know we sort of um, uh, kind of collapse under the weight of our own hubris 
and uh, and then God God shows up and there's a spiritual renaissance of some kind where you know there's this flurry of the church getting energy and life again and it and it booms and then we get start reading our own press clippings you know and how great spiritual people we are <laughs> and the next thing you know we're skidding down the hill sliding down the hill again and uh, you know and uh, and you know this peaks and valleys it seems to me that we are in one of those places where a spiritual reawakening is ripe, that we are ripe for that. Yes. And if we as the Church of Jesus Christ are not the ones who are going to be bringing, at least be instruments of part, partial instruments of that, then who will be? <laughs> Amen. Who's God going to use if it's not us? Amen. I feel so blessed to be a part of a small group of guys that meets, uh, we meet online at 6.30 on every Wednesday morning. So I'm looking forward to tomorrow morning. And we've had this going on for a couple of years now and they welcomed me in, it was their group, but they invited me in. And in the course of time, we've been able to say to each other, whatever needs to be said, either to share or to hold one another in a holy, wholesome kind of accountability. Uh, that has been such a blessing. And I think that's one of the things that the Ministry of Disciples Men offers is that safe place. And but also that sense that we're not just in this together for how this will affect m my life so much as we're in this together because we also care about what's coming down the road for the future generations yeah. and that uh, who we are and what we do now really makes a difference and either honors or dishonors the sacrifices made for us in the past. Well, Bill, you mentioned something there that, that I was hoping, um, but the two things, the importance of, of creating that space where a group of, of guys can get together, a group of people can get together and really be authentically who they are. But two, that this is something for you that happens online and has for a couple of years now. This isn't something that's been online prompted by uh, the current COVID-19 pandemic that we've all faced and has changed the, the landscape of our lives. But this was, that's an avenue uh, and, and a good avenue to create those kind of deep life-giving relationships. That This can happen in a virtual environment. It can, and I should clarify because I think I misspoke. Um, we did begin to meet more online when COVID happened. We were really meeting in person before that, um, but we had the option. And one of the guys decided we could do this by one of the online platforms, and it worked out really well for us. But you're right. We haven't lost anything by being online. I think if anything else, uh, it has made sure that we showed up more often because there wasn't the drive and no excuses for bad weather. Uh, as long as we had internet, we were able to meet. And it's, I, I can honestly say that uh, if, if one of us is not able to show up, we really miss the other. And if we ourselves miss, uh, we really miss out. Um, it, it changes the, the tenor of the week. Well, and that's something that's been hugely important in my life and in my ministry. Um, you know, I've maintained uh, for the better part of two decades now, really close, um, supportive, um, you know, relationships with other men, because I know that's important for all of us to have a group that really will hold you accountable. It's not just if I don't show up on a, for me, it's usually been Tuesdays. If I don't show up on a Tuesday morning, uh, somebody is blowing my phone up wanting to know where I am. 
yeah. and why it wasn't there. Um, you know, it, and to center that in practices of faith, uh, practices of prayer, um, I think is, is hugely important. And that's only offered through churches and groups of believers coming together. Yeah, this small group is reading, uh, we're reading the book, Holy Envy. And mm. uh, it talks about uh, um, a, 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 an instructor's teaching world religions class. And honestly, we are such slow readers. We've been at this book now for uh, over a year. And and one of the things I would want other men to know is that in these in these gatherings, there is probably more laughter than anything yes. else. Nice. Uh, yeah, there's so much joy. A lot of guys have this idea that, you know, if you're going to belong to a men's group or a Bible study, that somehow you're going to have to be dour and sour. Nah, <laughs> not happening. I wouldn't want to be a part of that group. Nope. No, 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 no way. No way. Well, Bill, we can't thank you enough for the time you've yeah. given us today. And, and uh, as I had hoped, you far exceeded our expectations. You're such a great leader for our church, and we are so grateful yes. that you've given us the time today. And you've been a wonderful support of men's ministry for many years. And so let us, on behalf of the General Conference on Disciple Men, uh, thank you for, uh, for how you support the work that, that we're involved with. And thank you both, both for being men of integrity. I can say that out loud because I know you both well enough to know that you are who God says you are. And that is itself is such a huge gift to the church. That and the great work that you're doing now. Thank you. We cannot do this in regions or in congregations without you. And we're so glad that you devote a significant part of your lives to making resources available, to connecting men, to bringing us together. And I'm looking forward to seeing you all at a sessions. I'm hoping that's going to be coming up after we figure out how to keep everybody safe and healthy. <laughs> so do we. We're yes. looking forward to that too. Looking forward to it as well. Bill, uh, also, thank you for your time today. We really do definitely deeply appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Alex? Thank you again for joining us on this edition of the Disciples Men podcast. Our deep thanks to Bill Roseheim for spending some time with us. And my thanks to the director of Disciples Men, Greg Alexander, for his leadership and for his uh, time with us again today. We look forward to speaking to you again soon on another edition of the Disciples Men podcast. Our special thanks to our good friend, the Reverend Dr. Dean Phelps, for providing the special music of this podcast. You can discover more of Dean's music at deanphelpsmusic.com. And you can learn more about the ministry of Disciples Men on Facebook and through discipleshomemissions.org. 